Thanks to Audible for sponsoring this episode of Market Foolery. For a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial, go to audible.com/fool. It's Tuesday, October 3rd. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and if you listened to yesterday's episode, you know I'm actually down in South Carolina right now for the Motley Fool One Investing Conference, but don't worry. I got something good for you. Last week, I had a meeting at Fool headquarters with Ben Carter and Malcolm Etheridge. Ben and Malcolm host a weekly TV show here in the DC area called Manage Your Damn Money. And there is an audio podcast version of their TV show that goes out under the same name. They came over for sort of a get to know you kind of meeting. I was asking them about their work, they were asking me about mine. It was great. We were up in a conference room on the fifth floor. And at one point, I just looked at them and said, Hey, can we go down to the fourth floor studio and talk there? And what was great was they didn't bat an eye. They just said, Sure, yeah, let's go. And I'm glad they did because now I'm able to share that conversation with you. And it started with me asking Ben how he and Malcolm first met. We were at an event that was, I guess, an honoring of. Adrian Fenty, yeah, former uh, mayor of VC. Former mayor, yeah, yeah. And um, I was there, and I was there for like a work-related thing for an uh, organization I was working for, and you know, was talking to different people, and started talking to Malcolm. And I think we connected initially over the fact that as kids, we were both really interested in money for no reason at all. Um, I know for me personally, I was that 15-year-old with a subscription to Money Magazine. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. like that—that that was given to me at one point as a birthday gift. Like, here's a subscription to Money Magazine, uh, and I would read those magazines front to back. Um, and so I remember having a discussion with Malcolm about your grand. Was it your grandfather? Or probably. Okay. And then, so I, I one of my clients invited me uh, to the same reception, and uh, being, if not the only one of the only financial advisors in the room is kind of like, you know, being an attorney or an accountant or, you know, everybody's like, oh, I don't want to. You know. <laughs> and so I got like, my own money guy. Right, I, don't, I, I don't need to talk. <laughs> I got a guy. I yeah, got yeah. a guy. Um, and so Ben was like one of the only people, first of all, who was my age right. uh, at this event. And then again, we somehow got on the topic of many and he handed me a card and it said manager damn money on it. And I was like, what is this? And he started talking about like, uh, uh, an idea that he had for a show and started doing a show. And I was like, I don't really care what the show is about. The name is everything, and I'm interested. Mm-hmm. Like, whatever you're doing, I'm interested. Like, that was kind of yeah. uh, it for me um, and, initially. And, and then from there, it was really just, we, we stayed in touch, uh, just casually from there. And then as we were considering moving the web series product to a podcast, you know, it was kind of who's in my orbit that, you know, would add value in a way that makes sense. And as a licensed financial advisor, um, you know, he was a perfect addition because uh, he does this every day. And then me, you know, obviously what I'm bringing to the table is the, the production understanding of, uh, you know, the marketing and all those kinds of things. Um, so it was really like a perfect marriage. He, Malcolm was an excellent third wheel to add to the team. Uh, and it, it's been great ever since. And I think uh, the product's even better than what it was when we started. How'd you come up with the name? Because that was that—that that was my reaction. It's everything, right? It was, and it was my reaction. And uh, when I met Ben earlier this summer, that was I. And after you left, because because right. uh, you came for a taping in Motley Full Money, mm-hmm. and we were all just like, "That is the best name." <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's funny. I came up with the name sitting on my couch. Not even my couch. I was staying 
with two friends in their living room immediately after graduate school and the power went out. Um, like I think it was one of those like, like snowstorms or something happened, but the power was out. So I was sitting there reading a book by Susie Orman because you know that's something I do in my free time. I read books about money just casually, and I will never forget where I was when I when the idea struck. Not the name, but the idea struck. I said, "Oh my gosh!" Essentially, there is no cool in money, and that's where it was born. Like okay, so. I have the skills from a production standpoint. I studied uh, broadcast journalism as an undergraduate. Then went on to study advertising at Syracuse University um, in my, in my, for my master's degree. And I said, I have the tools necessary to put together a product that addresses this need and happens to be something that I'm crazy interested in. Um, and so after that, I had a whole list of names. I have the list somewhere. <laughs> it was some bad names on there. Like <laughs> It was like maybe seven to 10 names, and some of them were horrible. Uh, but when I said, when I wrote out Manage Your Damn Money, it was simple, it was clean, it was the way that millennials in particular speak. Um, there's a lot of shows and things now that have like quote unquote curse words in them. Um, and I think it also lent that sense of urgency. And so it was a natural choice when I went down that list. I said, that's horrible, that's horrible. I think I had, I, I, I would have to find a list for you because I don't want to like say somebody else's name of their thing. And right. <laughs> inadvertently uh, trash what their name is. Um, you have to find that list. <laughs> I think I have it somewhere on my, I, I, I gotta find it. Um, so that's what, that's how it came to be. It was just a list and this was the best one on the list. I love that. You know what's uh, interesting too, Chris? We get questions all the time where people are like, does it have to be named that <laughs> exactly? And as you know, really, because I was just thinking, yes, technically it has a curse word in it, but mm-hmm. it's broadcast friendly. It's not, there are plenty of there are yeah. books on the New York Times bestseller list right now with right. you know with profanity in the title. Throw that, me the damn ball like right. that. Yeah, is a bestseller from uh, Keyshawn Johnson. Yeah, but there there are books right now where th- there are curse words that are not broadcast friendly. Right, yeah. absolutely. They got to use the asterisk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I think uh, for most people, it, to w- to whatever extent people feel some kind of way about the name, especially in a negative sense, the way that we take it is, well, you're feeling something, and if so you hear a name and you don't feel anything, that's not a great thing. Uh, so that people are moved either positively as you were in the uh, team at the Mo- at Motley Fool Money uh, podcast. You guys are moved positively and other folks are maybe moved towards the negative side. It's like, oh, I just can't get I can't get over it. It's just it's a curse word. And, you know, we can't curse and we're not supposed to be talking about curse words. And I think those are things that, uh, you know, you're moved. And but not only that, though, yeah. if you're scrolling through channels on your TV or you're flipping through trying to find something to listen to in your podcast feed. Right. If you see manager money, you're going to keep scrolling. I am, too. Like, I'm a person who gets paid to care about money, and I'm going to keep scrolling. But if I see manager damn money, to Ben's point, it gives it a sense of urgency that's not there without that word. And so it's necessary. Well, and even though you're millennials and your your show is geared towards millennials, Mm -hmm. there is sort of that uh, sort of older person presence in the title, where it's almost like a coach or an uncle or a grandfather <laughs> kind of slapping you upside the head a little bit like, hey, would you just please? Boy, just, come over here. Let me teach you how to manage your damn money. Just take right. care of yeah. business. Um, so, we were talking earlier about, um, you were mentioning like some of the... You, you went through something that uh, I went through when we first started doing market foolery mm-hmm. in 2011, 
which was we're going along, we're doing the podcast, and it, not really thinking much of it, and then uh, went on vacation mm-hmm. and said <laughs> on the episode before vacation, right. going on vacation yeah. back in a couple of weeks, right. and thought nothing of it, mm-hmm. and then started getting email from people saying, "Where, where are you?" Right. Where, you know, and and you guys just went through that, yeah. and I'm curious beyond just sort of the fact, which is nice that mm-hmm. that people that that your listeners miss you. Right. What sorts of Questions are you getting from people? What what are you finding in terms of feedback that of of the various topics that you've touched on? Sure. The ones that like really resonate with your listeners. I think home buying is a big one. Yeah. Like if it's not number one. That's number one. Um, I think millennials are occupy the unique position of living in a world where it's extremely difficult to buy a home. The price of homes, especially in metropolitan areas, are almost out of reach, you know, uh, a fifteen percent down payment feels like a lifetime's worth of savings for somebody who's making $55,000 a year. Um, Not only that, we're in a strange place as far as the housing market is concerned. So you've got lack of inventory, you've got lack of new housing permits being filed, and so then you have no starter homes. So all of the people who would be moving out of those starter homes and into their next sized home aren't getting out of the way, so to speak, for the younger generation to be able to afford the house that's 150, 250, 350, they're still occupying that space. And right. so there's there's literally no affordable home buying option, even if you are somebody who's fortunate to have the 20% down payment or right. the stellar you know credit to be able to get a lower uh, down payment requirement. So that's top of mind for a lot of people. Yeah, and I think also little niche questions, uh, as I mentioned before, um, you know, how... I'm forgetting my You mentioned thought. student loans before. And yeah, that, that, student loans that's are a, a big very one. popular one, too. Yeah, student loans are a big one. Um, I think identity theft and stuff like that, we've had an, a note or two about that. Uh, and, and I think for the broader established personal finance world, investing world, we kind of take for granted that we understand what like stocks are and these different things that you're supposed to do, 401ks, um, you know, getting the company match. But I think it always is worth kind of going over the basics with people uh, so they understand in context of life how these things are attached to them and how successful they can be down the line. Um, and so little things like, uh, you know, talking about, you know, home buying and whether home buying is a good thing or a bad thing, especially, you know, considering the financial crisis of 2008. Um, those are things that people always want to talk about and will always want to talk about because they're hot topics. There's also an underlying note of entrepreneurship that yeah. falls into probably every other show mm-hmm. where the recurring theme is finding the thing that you're passionate about, turning your passion into a side hustle, right. and then accidentally, oh, by the way, this side hustle that I created years ago is now my main thing. Right. And this is the way that I support myself. And it's a lifestyle business. Or... Maybe it is something that I decided I wanted to scale. Like right. we've had a business owner on uh, not too long ago who owns a creative studio that mm-hmm. she just happened to be interested in right. creating uh, advertisements and such. And then now she's got, you know, office space mm-hmm. in D.C., like right. prime location in D.C. Mm-hmm. and employees that she's responsible for. And this was just something that, you know, got her out of having to be in war zones in Baghdad <laughs> or something like, yeah. you know, so. It's interesting because we're in a place and we talk about it all the time. The fact that, you know, for us as a millennial generation to be able to retire, we're talking about people who don't have a pension to look forward to, who probably can't rely on Social Security the way our parents and grandparents could. 
it's important to consider outside alternatives like having some sort of side hustle project that Mm -hmm. puts a few more dollars in your retirement savings along the way or helps you be able to save for that down payment toward your house because your regular nine to five probably isn't going to be the thing that, you know, gets you everywhere that it you want to go along with uh, yeah. achieving that American dream, the white picket fence and stuff has been jokes all the time on the show. <laughs> <laughs> well, and um, to something that you touched on, Ben, mm-hmm. there still is the perception mm-hmm. about the stock market, and it is more pervasive than uh, I, I would like it to be, but it, it's not as bad as it used to be, but it's still out there. And it is this notion that uh, inv- the stock market is a casino. That, like if you're investing, it's like, it's like gambling. Like there's still right. there is still that that's like one more thing that I think right. as as people who host these types of shows, we mm-hmm. like we should never take that for granted because right. that is still ingrained in a lot of people's narratives or the narratives that they have been fed right. at various points in their lives. Yeah, and I think for Malcolm kind of kind of give his perspective um but i i think primarily it has to do with the way that we approach financial things altogether like um uh, if you look at cnbc if you look at all if you know for the most part um you know kind of you guys do a really good job at the molly fool of of making money fun or as fun as a topic like that can be <laughs> and some people just say look this is meant to be boring and we're going to keep it boring and you know we don't mind if you're bored out of your mind sit back we're going to bore the hell out of you exactly exactly so i think even just understanding what that does to a person's mind and says, well, this is boring and also it's complicated, so this can't be for me. And people come up with whatever reason that they can come up with, whether it be, you know, what my grandma told me or what, you know, someone else, what I heard about the stock market to provide a reason why not to get involved with investing or doing anything in particular that, um, you know, would help further your financial cause. And I think it's really just a wall that's there um, intentionally or unintentionally um, by the way that we talk about this particular topic. Um, So I don't know. But aside from the need to edutain people, um, you also have, you know, we're talking about a group of people who has never personally experienced a positive uh, moment in the stock market. So you're talking about a group of people who were probably born sometime in the early 80s, you know, early to late 80s, who lived through the dot-com bubble, who then lived through the housing market crash, who then lived through the 08 economic crisis, who then lived through the flash flash crash in 2011. So literally never in there have you really had a positive experience. You saw your parents get laid off. You saw folks in retirement having to come out of retirement to take a job. All of these things are being fed to you, and it's like, oh, my God, all of this is related to that stock market. Right. So if the stock market wasn't a thing and it wasn't as bad and brutal and confusing as it is, then none of what I see happening around me as a newly, you know, newly minted adult would be here. But because of it, I'm staying as far away from it as I possibly can because I don't want to go down like the people I saw you know, close to me, my family, my friends, whoever – uh, that were affected by it. And so I, it's kind of a double-edged sword in that you want to get informed, you want to be uh, know what's going on and understand what people are talking about, but you're also extremely afraid to really jump into it because you've never really seen the good side of what does happen when 
you invest and how wealth creation happens from the stock market. Well, and you know, unless you're like Ben and you're a teenager in Money <laughs> Magazine and you're a total nerd, so you're an Android. Yeah, <laughs> yeah unless you're like Ben, right. you're you're the stock market is on sort of the periphery of your day-to-day life right. and so you're you're not engaged in a way where you say and even through all of the things that you just ticked off there are great examples of companies that you could be a part owner of and hold and even through all those dips you end up a big winner in the long run right right if you're just if that's not part of your experience then you're just sort of Catching the headlines, and the headlines are almost always terrible. There's no, there's no, there's no right. sort of regular. I mean, we're in year eight of a bull market. There's no regular check-in. Like, well, it's another amazing day to be an yeah. investor. It's, right. it's, you know, it's uh, as a, an, an old uh, network news guy told me once: the uh, the the plane that lands safely does not make the news. <laughs> and that's that's that is absolutely the case for the stock market. That's funny. Hey, we're going to get back to Ben and Malcolm in just a second. But first, I want to say thanks to Audible for supporting this episode of Market Foolery. Audible makes traffic an escape that you look forward to in your car. You can access an unbeatable selection of bestsellers, mysteries, thrillers, and motivation. Transform your commute. Ride with Audible. For our dozens of listeners, Audible is offering a free audiobook with a 30 day free trial. If you want to listen to it, I got good news Audible has it. Just go to audible.com slash fool and browse their unmatched selection of audio content. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. If you've listened to Motley Fool Money before, some of the best-selling authors that I've had the chance to talk to, their books are on Audible. And recently, I went with something on the lighter side, A Load of Hooey, which is a collection of humor essays by Bob Odenkirk the actor known as Saul Goodman on Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Get a free audiobook with a 30-day free trial at audible.com slash fool. That's audible.com slash fool. And now, back to Ben and Malcolm. What is next? And I'm asking you to look into your non-existent crystal ball. But <laughs> what do you think is next for millennials in terms of media narratives? Mm. Because I joke with the millennials in my office that um, a fun thing to do is to just go onto Google right. and type in the phrase "millennials are killing," yeah. and then yeah. you just see the millennials are killing the restaurant industry. Right, They're yeah. killing golf, the, the golf, paper napkins, you know, all, Lunch. All, all, all these different things. Um, because it does seem like to go back to something you had said earlier in terms of the the interest from your audience around home buying, it really does seem like. We are almost due for a generational push through um, into housing in a way that goes against the narrative. Right. Um, so, what are you asking exactly? I mean, uh, I, I I think I'm not doing a good job of this. Uh, what I'm 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 basically asking where do you where do you see in terms of millennials and money? Mm-hmm. Where do you find yourself? Uh, gravitating towards in terms of topics of interest, oh, is yeah. it even more home buying, or mm-hmm. is it 
No, here's oh. here's the thing that people who are <laughs> instead of sitting back and just right. you know. I, basically, I'm asking you to push back right. on people like me who right. like to type in "millennials are killing it" <laughs> and say, actually, right. if you want to know uh, what's an upcoming trend with right. millennials and money, here's where I think uh, a potential candidate is. So recently, uh, I was asked this on another show, and I got really excited when wow. I started asking this that bad question a question. This, this tortured. <laughs> well, no, it was a journey to a question to the point you were making. Uh, it, it was. Millennials are killing everything. You guys are terrible at everything. And let me tell you about what you should be doing differently. And so I had to push back a little bit to your point because the, the, the conversation was around investing. And what we found, the, the few studies that have actually really delved into what millennials do with our money, we found that millennials are actually contributing to their retirement savings plans, those who actually are contributing are contributing at a higher rate than the other two generations, Xers and Boomers. And so you do have a group of people within the millennial cohort, so not everybody, but a silo of, you know, folks inside of that age band that are actually contributing, you know, in excess of 10% on average toward their retirement. And so if you think about I won't say you specifically, but if you think about uh, your peers, where you were as far as investing for retirement then versus uh, now, you probably weren't jumping right in at 10% or 8% or whatever. Like the, the conversation we always have, and my advice to anyone ever who asks me what's the bare minimum I have to do when I enroll in my uh, 401k plan is whatever your company is willing to match. That's where your floor is. But what what the studies have shown is that millennials are actually – contributing at a rate higher than our parents and, and, you know, grandparents who are still in the workforce, which then means from a long-term perspective, you know, we're talking over a 35, 40-year career, you're probably a little bit better off than where they were, assuming the stock market continues its long-term trend of, yes, all this craziness happens in the middle, but if you look at the line stretched over, you know, a good solid period, it pretty much goes up. Um, And so that's one trend that I hope stays, you know, uh, intact. Uh, and I hope continues to run in that direction because that's pretty encouraging. Right. And the thing that I would say um, that I'm seeing is there's this hashtag on Instagram. It's called Digital Nomad. <laughs> and it's essentially the concept where you don't have a home. Like I've seen a couple posts from different people. And we've talked about this in our like text ongoing text thread about nonsense and sometimes things about money. Um, the idea that millennials are having a reevaluation, so to speak, of the accumulation of things and life being about the accumulation of said things. So American Pie, American Dream, all those things have always been about, about get a house, two cars, kids, and then you know you work until you're 60 to maintain it all, right? And I think a millennials, an emerging trend is trying to figure out, and this is where also the home buying kind of fits into there, is what is absolutely necessary for me to be comfortable, but then also live a fulfilling life. And I think things like on the extreme, certainly I could not live out of a van, but there's a whole hashtag dedicated on Instagram to people who literally live out of their vans or their like souped mobile up home. van, mobile homes, and tra- travel around the United States and make money from sponsorships of you know products that they use along the way. Um, and so there's this emerging thing where it's like it's not necessarily about how much stuff I can have, um, and that is impacting 
that and, and the recogni- recognition that that impacts your ability to accumulate wealth and and to do things you need to do. Um, and I, I think for one, and I think we're coming to this conclusion um, in our conversations, is the millennial generation actually might end up being the most responsible with money of all the last three, uh, just because of the way that because of the experiences we've had collectively. Um, you know, it's causing us to be able to scrutinize those decisions a lot more deeply. One challenge, though, is that Ben and I are both old millennials. <laughs> and I don't mean numerically. Like, Ben and I are both, he's 30, I'll be 30 in a month. Like, right. I don't mean numerically we're old. I mean, Ben was a five-year-old reading Money Magazine. <laughs> he's an old man, yes. right? Like, I Literally. like was born 40, right? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I was five years old walking around the house with my cup of tea and, and the morning paper. Like, so you're talking about two people who, even though technically we fit into that millennial age group, we're a little bit more uh, older in thinking as far as, you know, social constructs and all that kind of stuff. So looking at folks who want to live out of a van is like absurd to us, but it's a thing. Like there's an entire tiny home community and there's an entire mobile home community. And there's an entire community of people who say, you know what? I don't want or need a nine to five job. I'm not going to work for the same place for 40 years. I want to be a contractor forever. You know, the so-called gig economy. So I want to, uh, clean homes and I want to drive car car share and I want to walk dogs and all these kinds of things collectively will equal my income okay. and that's going to be just enough to help me afford rent at the place where I live I can afford to hang out with my friends and have a beer or two and that's enough and and you know that avocado toast that everybody swears that millennials <laughs> are wasting their money on um it's enough to afford that lifestyle and that's all I really want I can do that forever so there's that group of people, too, that kind of fit into that millennial age band that, you know, we kind of look at. And to his point in our group chats, we're like, I can't believe people are really doing this in numbers enough for it to be a study. But that actually exists, too. And there has to be somebody accounting for what will we do if this goes left? Um, because it could. Right. It could also turn out to flourish and be a wonderful thing. And those people are all so much smarter and more happily fulfilled than all the rest of us who look at the way things used to be, but there has to be kind of some accounting for what do we do if people have completely screwed it up and by not planting any roots whatsoever or having any real structured kind of work history or living history or, you know, those kind of things, what do we do 20 years from now when we find out that that really is a pain point now? I guess we'll cross that bridge when we come to it, but that's kind of a concern that I think people need to be prepared for. Last thing on a completely different topic, um, because I, I picked this up from the most recent episode of your podcast. Malcolm, you're training for a marathon? Yeah. When, what marathon are you running? So, Richmond Marathon, okay. uh, November 11th. Um, and the whole thing came up anyway because I, so I run all the time, but normally I'll run six, seven miles and shut it down right there. But I just happened to be having a conversation with Ben, I think. Over text. Was a text? Where I said something about me, you know, getting ready for a marathon. And Ben's like, dude, you're not running a marathon. Like, you know. <laughs> that was like, probably, it was the first thing that I said. I think I sent a laughing emoji and was like, you're not doing a marathon. You can't do that. Because, you know, you don't normally run a marathon with two months of prep time. Right. But the thing I was trying to make clear to my compadre here is I don't need a lot of prep time. Uh, elite athletes like myself, we just wake up, roll out of bed, is shake this, it out. Is this your first marathon? This is my very first, yes. 
So I am also training for a marathon. Okay. Oh, wow. I'm running Marine Corps in a month. Yeah. Okay. Oh, wow. And that's some stiff competition. I uh, I'm I'm not competing. Okay. I'm just I'm just <laughs> looking to get over the finish line. Uh, I did it last year. Okay. That was my first marathon, and that was uh, brutally painful. So I'm just curious. To this point, what is? I mean, you're much younger than me. You're in much better shape than me. What is the longest distance you've run to this point? Twelve miles. Twelve miles. Yeah. Okay. So just double that, and then add a couple more. <laughs> Why not? That's you know, I'll have two of those high-priced lattes that I'm genetically predisposed to want because I'm 30, and I'll get out there and and, and hit it. That's and, all the fuel you, know, you need. Or I'll find somebody to roll me across the finish line <laughs> who needs an extra challenge because this is their 40th marathon. I really enjoyed talking with Ben and Malcolm, and I hope you enjoyed it too. Check out their podcast when you get a chance. It's called Manage Your Damn Money. They are smart guys. They have a great rapport with one another. And the whole show has a fantastic vibe to it. I hope you check it out. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Foolery. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.